You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Someone has been running a DNS hijacking campaign against governments in Southeast Europe and Southwest Asia, and Reuters thinks that someone looks like Turkey. Experts would like to see a more thorough forensic analysis of Mr. Bezos' iPhone. That hack may look like a Saudi job, but the evidence remains circumstantial. Interpol's Operation Night Fury dismantles a gang that had been preying on e-commerce. And farewell, Clayton Christensen, theorist of disruptive innovation. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, January 27, 2020. Reuters, citing British and U.S. officials speaking anonymously, reports that a major cyber espionage campaign is in all likelihood the work of Turkish services. The effort targeted some 30 organizations, including government agencies in Albania, Greece, Iraq, and Cyprus, as well as some domestic Turkish groups including at least one Freemasonic lodge, thought sympathetic to the failed 2016 coup. The campaign made large-scale use of DNS hijacking. Reuters sources told the news service that their assessment that the campaign was a Turkish operation depended on three things. First, the victims included the governments of countries that are strategically and politically important to Turkey. Second, the attacks resembled earlier attacks that used infrastructure connected to Turkey— And third, and most interestingly, because the sources wouldn't talk about it, information contained in confidential intelligence assessments that they declined to detail. Reuters says that it reviewed public DNS records. The news service says it was able to find that the victims they identified had traffic to their websites hijacked and redirected to servers controlled by the attackers. Much of the traffic so redirected was traffic for login portals, suggesting that credential harvesting was at least one of the goals of the operation. The Turkish government declined to comment, but one official did venture to observe that Turkey itself had been the victim of cyber attacks, which is surely true. So has the rest of the world, pretty much. We received emailed comments from Dave Weinstein, CSO at security firm Clarity, and the former CTO of the state of New Jersey. He noted that Turkey had not been known as a major player in international cyber conflict and that Ankara had tended to focus on its domestic priorities. But now, he says, the country is emerging as a more active and externally focused actor. He sees another larger issue in the report, however. 
He thinks it follows a trend in hijacking attempts that exploit inherently insecure aspects of the Internet. As Weinstein puts it, quote, The DNS system relies in large part on trust, an element that state actors are apparently both willing and able to compromise for the sake of intelligence collection. Observers would still like to know more about what actually was found on Jeff Bezos's phone. The device FTI Consulting said, with medium to high confidence, was compromised by Saudi Arabia's government. It seems something was going on in the phone. Text messages from the Crown Prince, for example, suggest that he was better informed about Mr. Bezos's amours than he should have been, and knowing things like that would be consistent with hacking. But this is circumstantial, as is much of the other evidence the report cited. As several experts told Security Week, the investigation didn't proceed beyond the circumstantial. The Wall Street Journal hears from other experts to the effect that the investigation, as described in the FTI report that became public last week, quote, appeared to forego important investigatory steps that could have yielded a fuller picture of what occurred on Mr. Bezos's iPhone 10. End quote. Saudi officials continue to maintain they had nothing to do with Mr. Bezos's iPhone 10, and that if there's any evidence to the contrary, they'd very much like to see it. On the other hand, a tweet storm, significantly bot-driven, is standing up for the kingdom, Forbes reports, busily slanging Mr. Bezos and calling for a boycott of Amazon. Such trolling can have its effects. Whether a case of large-scale trolling is state-directed or state-inspired astroturf is always difficult to determine, and sometimes it's even got a significant grassroots component. The story is still developing. As it develops, it may be shaped by a case in Tel Aviv, where a court is hearing arguments over whether NSO Group should keep its export license. The company's famous Pegasus tool was mentioned in dispatches by FTI, which said it seemed likely, on circumstantial grounds, that whatever got into Mr. Bezos's phone was Pegasus, delivered perhaps via WhatsApp. A hacking team tool was mentioned as a second but less probable possibility. Observers will watch what emerges during the proceedings, but even many inveterate critics of NSO Group have been cautious about drawing the conclusion that Pegasus was implicated in this particular incident. Interpol's Operation Night Fury, with major assistance from security firm Group IB, has taken down a cyber gang that operated from six ASEAN countries to hit online shopping with get-billing sniffer. Group IB explains that JavaScript sniffers are used by criminals, quote, to steal customer payment and personal data, such as credit card numbers, names, addresses, logins, phone numbers, and credentials from payment systems. End quote. The company's investigation found some 200 sites infected with the get-billing sniffer. Those sites, in keeping with the borderless quality of e-commerce, are spread throughout the world, not just Southeast Asia, but Australia, the Americas, and Europe. Group IB thinks it likely that more infected sites will come to light as five other ASEAN national police forces complete their own investigations. Interpol said that the investigation they coordinated led to authorities in Singapore taking down two of the command and control servers the gang was using. It also enabled the Indonesian National Police to arrest three individuals. Similar hunts for servers and perps are in progress in several other ASEAN countries. And finally, we close on a somber note today. Few concepts are tossed around as freely in our industry as the notion of disruption, particularly in the context of disruptive technologies. 
But unlike many of the buzzwords that so fill business discourse, disruption is actually a concept that has some content and rigor behind it. The writer who formulated the concept, Clayton M. Christensen, professor at the Harvard Business School, died last Thursday at the age of 67, losing his struggle with leukemia. His book, The Innovator's Dilemma, is worth reading, as is his essay, How Will You Measure Your Life? Our condolences to his family, friends, and colleagues as we recognize the completion of a life that measured up pretty well indeed. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Robert M. Lee. He's the CEO at Dragos. Uh, Rob, it's always great to have you back. Uh, we are starting a new year here, and uh, I wanted to get your take on what are you looking ahead to as you look towards the horizon? What do you see coming in the ICS space for 2020? Awesome. All right. Only for you, by the way. All right. I want to <laughs> start this off correct that I get asked all the time for predictions and what's coming by all the different magazines that, that talk to me and, and, and publications and similar, and I always turn it down. But for the CyberWire, uh, I will break my rule <laughs> and I will give you, you know, with a, a finger in the wind, here's what I am seeing. And so take it with a grain of salt, but here's what I think. Um, I think in the larger community, um, so not just ICS specific, but the larger community, because of all the momentum we've seen and starting to talk about tradecraft and, and thinking about threats um, beyond just malware exploits and vulnerabilities, but actually for what they are and humans on the other side of the keyboard, because of that movement, and even and I acknowledge that not all the community is there yet, but because of that movement, we are going to have to look back at what we've done to date. And, and what I mean by that is we have made a lot of security investments and strategies and implemented a lot of things around the, the community, especially in enterprise companies, where... 
we were doing it off of one basis of knowledge and now we have another. And I think that is going to drive a much deeper look at collection and detection strategies and response strategies and not just here's a tool, let me buy it, what do I think it does? I think on a day-to-day basis, analysts get abstracted way too much from collection. You know, it's kind of the example where an analyst in front of a seam takes an indicator, throws it through and goes, yep, no alerts, we're good. When the real question should have been, did we ever collect the data that would have been required to validate or invalidate that question we just asked? And I think as we think about tradecraft and get to this higher order of thinking in the community, we are going to have to very critically look at the collection and detection strategies we put in place. And my recommendation for those companies is think about the response strategy first. Like what is, what is the executives going to ask questions about? What are you going to need for your business? What are the actual business requirements? And work backwards. Well, if I'm going to have that level of response, I got to have this strategy towards detection. And if I've got this strategy towards detection, I got to have this type of collection. I think that's going to hit a lot of companies in the face, but I think we're up for the challenge. On the ICS side, on the industrial control system side, or the operations technology community, I mean, I think we can kind of pull vault forward and look at a lot of that. But I made a prediction a year or two ago. Um, Dale Peterson put me on stage at S4, um, which is always a good conference. There's really a couple really good conferences in, in the ICS community. I'm sure they're all great and wonderful, but I generally love the SANS ICS Summit and S4 and maybe CS3 Stockholm out in Europe. But um, when he asked me, he was like, make a prediction. And I, and I told him the same thing. I was like, I hate predictions. So he's like, just do it. Fine. And I got on stage and I was like, uh, uh, our security professionals one day will know more about our operations than our operators. And I just kind of like said it in the moment thinking, you know, oh, it's it's out there, you know. And then I stepped back and I was like, I think I believe that. So as I think about them, like actually what made really good security analysts anywhere else in the world was a deep understanding of how the system or system of systems worked in the first place. And we're starting to see more and more operations and engineering, especially on the operations side, um, get abstracted from the environment where maybe the vendor or the integrator themselves like built the ICS or integrated it in the way they thought. And really, we're just operating it and we're leaning more and more on calling for help desk. And it's harder to hire people and train people and layers of expertise and more common operating platforms and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, where the level of knowledge and operations, you know, these, these are amazing operators. I'm not trying to say they're they're lesser than they've ever been. They're actually better than they've ever been, but more generalists now than specialists are moving in that direction. And actually, it's the exact opposite of what we're seeing in the need of security of more specialization, especially with the level of automation um, that we're in digital transformation that's happening in the industrial world. And I actually think that not in 2020, but as we go about our journey, industrial control systems, security folks will have to appreciate that they will at some point or should know more about that plant inside and out as a whole than any other one person in that facility. And that's scary and amazing and crazy all at the same time. What about the overall sense of community itself? As as uh, the number of people working on these problems grow, is it your sense that um, that that notion of community itself is becoming a component of greater importance? It is, and I always hear, when people talk about the community or our community, I always see people that kind of snipe on social media or whatever, and I don't think it's misplaced or malintended, but they kind of snipe, well, there is no community, like there's there's all these various little communities, and like, yeah, for sure, but we're still a community. And my response to that is, there's just different schools of thought. Like, it's not that we aren't one community, it's that 
there are lessons learned and expertise and against specific requirements that not everyone shares that's getting developed and it's defining a school of thought. Like I had to publicly like really rant on this about like Intel. Like people are like, here's how you do cyber threat Intel. And it's like, nope, that's not the only way to do it, guys. Like actually like that one of the main reasons I wanted to make my SANS class, um, the forensics five seventy eight one and the the GCTI, the certification that goes with it, is to say, you do whatever you want. Like you do you, man, but like this is a school of thought of how to functionally and correctly inside this school of thought do cyber threat intelligence and put a stake in the ground going, here's the vernacular we use and the lexicon. Here's the mental models and the structure analytic techniques. And here's the type of requirements we see. And you and you're not subsetting the community. You're just saying, here's one option as a full package of kind of a, a school of thought. And I think we're seeing the same thing in industrial control systems where I'm very opinionated about what it takes to go toe-to-toe with the adversaries. I'm still not a fan of considering things like anomaly detection or protocol behavior analysis, or whether they want to flavor the marketing terms, as a detection strategy for ICS. You're, you're going to get tens of thousands of false positives a day to an analyst, and that's not the, like, no analyst has ever sat there and gone like, you know what I want? I'd love to have 100,000 contextless alerts to go through today. Like, that's not a real answer. But other people may have different requirements. And so instead of saying you're wrong, it's really just a school of thought. And I'm lucky that you know Sands is, has been kind of a neutral player in this to codify that school of thought. And so that's what we do on the Sands ICS curriculum. If you look across ICS 410, ICS 515, my class, um, and ICS 612, the, the new class they have, um, all of those certifications and process really is a school of thought. So I think it's a long-winded way to answer your question. As the community expands, we should be excited about it, but we shouldn't think that it's bifurcating. We should just recognize that there are competing schools of thought that are forming, and we should all be just overjoyed that we have those opportunities so that for each and individual one of our our companies, we can try to choose the best school of thought that works for our people and our company. All right. Well, Robert M. Lee, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. 
Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.